Well, thank you for being here this morning and allowing me to uh, take time and uh, share the word with you. If you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, please turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We have started a new series just a few weeks ago going through the book of Philippians. And the first week we saw this concept of having a binding focus in our gospel joy. And while, while I was actually in Quebec a few weeks ago, uh, we had already scheduled that I was going to be preaching this Sunday. Uh, Pastor Joey said, hey, I think I'm going to do Philippians a little bit differently. And he, he had mentioned this already, uh, I think a week or two ago, that he was originally going to do it chapter by chapter, but he just didn't think he could do it uh, chapter by chapter without missing some of the main points. And when he told me that, uh, we had the discussion whether I wanted to just stay in the series or do something different. And I was like, oh, yes, I definitely want to stay in the series because that will be week three, which means I get to preach my favorite verse, Philippians 1.21. And lo and behold, Pastor Joey did not go as far as I thought he would go. So I don't get to preach my favorite verse. So come back next week and hear my favorite verse preached by Pastor Joey. <laughs> uh, but, but here's the thing. We, see, we saw the first week that we are to have this gospel joy. That the Lord is the only true source of joy. And then uh, the second week we saw this idea that we are to have uh, this gospel overflow in our lives. And that happens when we have abounding love, authentic lordship, and, a- and aimed living, which keeps us on track. And today we're going to look at the idea of gospel motives, where sometimes we may do the right thing, but with the wrong motive. There's a book that one of the interns um, shared with me, an excerpt from Uh, called The Year of Living Like Jesus by author and pastor Ed Dobson. And in this book, he tells of a story where he may have done the right thing, but with the wrong motive. And this is what he says. My wife and I drove down to Key West. I decided to take a day off of reading. As we walked past a restaurant on Duval Street, a man who obviously had been drinking called from the steps, Hey, could you spare some change so I can get something to eat. I've heard this a lot, and I know of a number of responses. First, you can simply ignore such people. After all, he will most likely use whatever money given to him to buy more alcohol. Secondly, you can offer to take him to a restaurant to buy him something to eat. In most cases, that person will decline. Thirdly, you can point him to an organization that provides meals for the homeless. Many such organizations exist in most cities. What did my wife and I do? We walked past the man without doing anything, as we have done with so many others in the past. After all, it's not our fault he is where he is. But after he walked a little farther, or after we walked a little bit farther, he called out, Can you help a Vietnam vet? My youngest son is a vet, and I deeply respect those who have served uh, this country in that way. So I stopped and walked back and gave him a dollar. At that moment, I remembered the words of Jesus, give to the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's as simple as that. Give to the one who asks. 
He asked, and I had an obligation to give. As I walked down the street, a wonderful peace came over me because I felt like I obeyed Jesus' teaching. I knew he'd probably use it to buy more alcohol, but I had, I had no other choice. He asked, and I was obligated. Still, what caused me to give him the money was not really my responsibility to follow Jesus, but the fact that he was a veteran. So after my initial thought, I realized I had done the Jesus thing with the wrong motive. I wonder how many of us, sometimes we, we just don't do the right thing to begin with, but I wonder how many of us, sometimes we may do the right thing, but we do it with the wrong motive. See, there's a fine line for us as believers. We want to be obedient to the mission that God has called us to, but without the right motives, it can do some serious damage to the gospel. Here in the first chapter of Philippians, we will see that Paul, with the right motives of advancing the gospel, and he's willing to admit the discouragement by those whom are preaching the same message, but doing it without the right motive of advancing the gospel. So in honor and reverence of reading the word of God, if you would stand with me as we read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the, the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words on, the, on these pages. We thank you, God, that they can come alive to us today. And I pray that they would challenge us, and that they would change us, and they would make us more like you. Please help us to understand the text so that we are different people when we walk out of here. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we're called to have gospel motives. No matter our circumstances or how difficult, the difficulties that we have, we need a heart that leads us to have the right motives. So the first thing that we see here is we're called to have gospel motives in the midst of difficulty. All right, we're called we're called to have gospel motives in the midst of difficulty. Despite his circumstances, Paul was not bitter, he was not discouraged, but had great reason to rejoice. So let's remind you of the, the circumstance and the situation that he's in. He is in prison in Rome. He is, uh, 
he, he is chained to someone else. And, and even in the midst of that circumstance, even in the midst of that difficulty, he is finding his joy in the Lord. He is rejoicing. How do we know that he wants others to know that he's rejoicing? Well, he says it here. In verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers. I want you to know that, yes, I'm in a difficult situation. I'm in a difficult, difficult scenario right now. But that doesn't change the fact that even though I'm in a difficult situation, that my motives change. See, difficult circumstances shouldn't affect us from sharing the gospel. So we just got back from uh, Quebec just a few weeks ago. And many of you will remember Jean-Marc, who was here in uh, February and March, and he preached on a Sunday morning. He's the pastor up there in Quebec. Quebec, 99.95% lost. Okay? It's a very dark community. It's a very dark province. Like, you talk about Jesus, and often people are, like, gone. I remember, remember one of the conversations that we had at the soccer field. Like, we were having a great conversation with this family that was from Brazil. And, like, they were really, really open. But, like, once the moment that we ta started talking about Jesus, it was like, wall up, we're done. But here's the thing, the circumstances and the difficulties and the darkness doesn't change the fact that we are still called to share the love of Christ. And we're going to see that here in this passage this morning. So there's three things I think our, our difficulties can help with. I think number one, our difficulties often help to advance the gospel. We see this in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What I'm going through, me being in prison, me being chained up to someone else has helped me to advance the gospel. Paul's difficulties were not incidental, but they were part of of God's plan to advance the gospel. So what are you saying, Pastor, that God actually put him there? Well, you can say however you want to that God's will was to put him there, that God placed him there, that God ordained. Let me just tell you, it was part of God's plan to win people over to Jesus by Paul being in prison. That was part of his plan. And and. Paul's difficulties were not incidental. We have one mission here on earth as God's people, and that is to advance the gospel. We are not here to tickle ears. We are not here to make the most money that we can. We are not here to have the best career we can or to be the most liked. We are here to advance the gospel. And some of those things are not bad in and of itself, but when those things become your primary focus or your primary reason for being here, then they are bad in and of itself. So it's not bad to have a very good education, but your education that you get, you're getting so that you can advance the gospel. It's not bad to have a good career, but the career that you have 
you have so that you can advance the gospel. It's not bad to be good in school, but if you're good in school, you're good in school so that you can advance the gospel. It's not bad to have a lot of money, but if you have a lot of money, you have a lot of money so that you can advance the gospel. Everything that we do and everything that we are a part of, everything, all the family life that we have, all the teams that our kids play on ball with, we do those things so that we can advance the gospel. There is one mission. And the psalmist says it like this in Psalm 67, 1 and 2. He says, May God be gracious to us and, be, and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known in the earth, that your saving power among all nations. The, Paul is just echoing what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 67. That may I live in such a way, may I show Jesus in such a way that he would be known here on earth and that his saving power would be seen among the nations. So let's start looking at life similar to what Paul, how Paul is here. As he's in prison in Rome, that our difficulties can help us share the good news. So I think about Paul. And Paul, he is chained to someone else. Guess what? He has nowhere else to go. This guy is going to hear about Jesus. Like, there's nowhere else. The guy who's guarding those two and making sure that he's going to hear about Jesus. All the guards who are checking on Paul, they're going to hear about, they don't have an option. I mean, what are they going to do? They may kill him, but as we have already learned about and will continue to learn about, Paul's in this struggle of, if they kill me, oh well, I get to go see Jesus. So, it reminds me of uh, when we were in Quebec, one of the things that we did in a very simple, simplistic way of trying to share the good news of Jesus is we did a car wash. And what we would do is um, Angie did her job of holding the sign. You may have seen it on Facebook. Uh, but, but, but what we did is, so the cars would come in and they would pull in and uh, Jean-Marc would be there and he'd be like, Okay, come on out of the car. Come on out of the car so that we can wash it. So they'd get out of the car. And then uh, the Anthonys, the Mays, the Styles, and then the Weeks that they were there, the Riggs and Fontaines, cleaning the car. And you look over, and Jean-Marc has his arm around the person telling them about Jesus. Okay? And then later that night, I was like, uh, and we, this was a big conversation later that night, probably with everyone who was there, was like, Man, John Mark, we're just so encouraged. We're so encouraged by how your willingness just to share the God. Like, I couldn't speak French. I couldn't have done that. And this is what he kept saying. What were they going to do? They had nowhere to go. They had to wait. You get them out of the car and you tell them about Jesus. I'm like, that's exactly what the same concept that Paul had. To tell them about Jesus, to advance the gospel, to make his name known. See, Paul's mission was to see people saved. And we see that throughout all of the New Testament. And we could spend the rest of our time just going over verse after verse of how Paul was saying, 
I just want to advance the gospel. I want to advance the gospel. Here's some of the examples in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You know what Paul's saying? I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the guard. I don't care if they're Jew. I don't care if they're Greek. I don't care if they're a freak. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Like, it doesn't matter. He didn't show favorites when it came to sharing them and, and, and advancing the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16, For I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. How dare I not preach the gospel? That's my calling. It's all of our callings, is what Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in his blessing. Like, that we would continue to jump on this train we need, that, 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 that's on the board of sharing the gospel. That's what we need to do. We need to, we need to do as Paul did here. And whatever it takes, whatever difficulties come our way, use that as an example an opportunity to share the gospel. The phrase advance the gospel doesn't mean merely moving ahead, but it's doing so against obstacles. You will have obstacles to come your way. There is no doubt about it. So first, we, our difficulties can often advance the gospel. Secondly, our difficulties can often make Jesus known. Look at verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's done made a reputation for himself. The entire imperial guard knows. They know what's up. People didn't know just about Paul. But they knew about how Jesus was seen throughout his life. If you think making Jesus' name known will come without obstacles and without difficulties, then there's probably a good chance that you're currently not making his name known. Like the, the people who preach a gospel as if, you just tell others about Jesus and it's all beautiful from there and it's never messy. Are preaching a different gospel than what we see here in Philippians. Think about, again, our, on our Quebec mission trip. Like, we had five families there that were there at some point throughout two weeks. We all had to deal with some crazy stuff. Whether it was kids getting sick before we were leaving, uh, family members getting sick before we were leaving, wallets being lost as you're leaving and being delayed a day, uh, you know, AC going out in vehicles or issues at home uh, with stuff in your house. Like there was constantly, it felt like every day, something new coming up. Now, some of that, I would say, yeah, Satan trying to discourage you. 
But I'd also say some of it is the Lord reminding you that your confidence is not in your difficulties or your situation. Your confidence is in the Lord. So what, what is your reputation here in the community or in your workplace or your school? What do people know you by? See, our life's goal should be to be known by the principles of our Lord Jesus Christ so that there is no hindrance as we share the gospel. See, some of us probably don't share the gospel because if we do, that's not what we're known by. If we do, then there's going to be a hindrance to the gospel. We'll start living like Jesus and making his name known. And as you do that, as you share the gospel, the gospel will advance. Paul's reputation preceded him. But he wasn't satisfied with just a reputation, but he used it as a catalyst to share the gospel. I'm sure some of the guys who had to watch over Paul knew his reputation. And as they come in, they're like, all right, just let's get this over with. You go ahead and tell me about, about Jesus. You do what you need to do. I'm here. Okay, so, so he would use it as a tool to share the gospel. There are some people who have a good reputation who don't share Christ and others who share Christ with a bad reputation, and both are wrong. We need to have a reputation that shows the love of Jesus. And because of that, we share Jesus. It's both. We need both of those. Part of our mission is advancing the gospel to make Jesus known. And how well are we doing that? How well are you doing that? So our difficulties can often lead to advancing the gospel. Our difficulties can often lead to making Jesus' Jesus's name known. But our difficulties also can often Give us a Christ-centered confidence. Give us a Christ-centered confidence. Verse 14 says it like this. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Our confidence is not in ourselves. To advance the gospel and make Jesus known... We must not find our confidence in ourselves. We have to find our confidence in the Lord. Paul's confidence and his courage wasn't in himself. He had done that before and it had almost killed him. When he was Saul, his confidence was in himself and it almost destroyed him. Paul's circumstances are beyond most of our ability to comprehend. Yet, he was a model of joy in the Lord, contentment in the Lord, and peace in the Lord. Most of us, maybe even all of us, don't understand what Paul is going through here in prison in Rome. But he has a sense of joy in the Lord, contentment in the Lord, and peace in the Lord. In the midst of difficulty, the Lord can strengthen us to proclaim the gospel fearlessly, just as Paul did. This gave others a boldness to speak the word without fear. And many of us, we actually become very hesitant to share the gospel. And we often use either the excuse that we think that we don't know how to, 
or our confidence is, is in ourselves and not in the message of our Lord. So if you say today, I don't tell others about Jesus because I don't know how to. I don't know what that looks like. I would encourage you with this. If you are a Christian, you have a story and you know how to share that story. That's a great starting point. Especially in our culture today, it's a great starting point. Just tell them how Jesus has changed you. Or maybe your confidence is in yourself. Well, if your confidence is in yourself, every time you share and someone doesn't get saved, your confidence is going to be destroyed. Don't let it be in yourself. Let it be in the Lord. You share the gospel and let the Lord do the work. It is not your job to save anybody. It is your job to tell them about the saving power and the saving work of Jesus. So we have to be on mission together doing that. And we have to do that in the midst of um, difficulties. And then secondly, the second point here is to do it in the midst of detractors. There are things that can get in our way and blind us. Verses 15 through 18 say, says this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. There are things that can get in the way for us to share the gospel. There are things that can distract us from sharing the gospel. What are some of these detractors that can often be seen? I think the first, first one is a detractor of the religious establishment. The religious establishment. One of Paul's and Jesus' biggest detractors that they would always fight up against is the religious people of the day. Let me explain what I feel like this is. And please stay tuned with me on this. First, I would say this. We are not a religion if we're a Christian. We are not in a religion. We are in a relationship. Let the world think that and tell them otherwise. Okay, But do not get sucked into the idea that we are in a religion because a religion is no different no matter which one you're in. We are in a relationship. So what's religious establishments? It's when we put priorities of what our desires or our traditions or our wants or our politics over advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me put it like this. When your Facebook status is more about political issues rather than Jesus issues, you are becoming part of the religious establishment. Like, Jesus becomes first and foremost in all that we do. 
And our goal is to advance the gospel. How is always taking a side, and I don't care what side it is. You can be Democrat, you can be uh, Republican, you can be independent, you can be any of the other names or whatever. When we always are more concerned with taking a side rather than telling people about Jesus, then we ultimately have allowed that to be a detractor in our lives. What's first and foremost? Advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a political statement. And yes, we support those who who, who uh, sh- should not be killing babies. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying political issues. I'm saying just political ads and, and defenses. When, when, when people, people are dying and going to hell and we want to spend more time fighting against politics than telling others about Jesus. Like, I, like why? What's the point of our life and our mission it's to make sure people know Jesus advance the gospel despite any religious establishment here's the thing I love the Southern Baptist Convention I'm so thankful for the SBCV but first and foremost I am a believer in Jesus Christ I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian before I'm a member of Mount Pleasant. I'm a follower of Jesus before I'm a member of anything. So don't let those things become priorities because when they become priorities, then they become religious establishments which take, which take us away from the gospel. And please don't hear me wrong. We should be involved in politics, but politics should not precede our relationship with Jesus. It should not be more important. So if we're a believer, we need not to malign one another. We're, we're, we don't need to destroy one another. There are Christians on both sides of the fence politically. And why do we malign one another when we should be together? We should be together advancing the gospel. We need to be on mission together against religion, religious establishment for the sake of the gospel. Many of us may, may have been hurt by, the, by a local church. And many of us may have pain that runs deep but Paul didn't allow that to affect his ministry in preaching the gospel what we see here is some people will if you you may have heard this before but um, I hear a lot of people who don't go to church who claim to be Christians to say phrases like this this is my personal relationship I'm going to have nothing to do with the church that's not what Paul says here he says we're on this mission together we got to avoid these detractors together because things are going to come up. We're going to need one another. Believers, we are the body of Christ, and it's within the body of Christ that we're going to grow. The author of Hebrews says it like this, that um, do not neglect the coming together with one another. Like, it wasn't a request to be a part of a church or to be a part of um, a body of believers. It's a expectation. And I think about us here in the United States of America where churches are everywhere. I mean, they are on almost every corner. 
but there are people who are in foreign countries, in, in the Middle East, or in Asia, where they have to walk or ride hours on a Sunday morning to get to one place with six, seven, eight believers who have also ridden hours or walked hours to get there just to not neglect the coming together so that they can be on mission together and grow together. That's what Paul is saying. That we're all in this together. Let's get these things out of our sight that don't, that shouldn't be, that are in a different priority than what they should be. Our motives must be centered around loving people and sharing Jesus, nothing more. Paul was addressing that there were those who were preaching the right message, but they were doing it for the wrong reason. They wanted the ministry that Paul had. They were jealous of it. I mean, Paul was seeing lots of people come to know Jesus, and they're like, Oh, he's getting too much fame. I want the fame that Paul has. So then they just start preaching Jesus out of envy and rivalry to get the same type of fame. That Paul. Paul didn't want the fame. He wanted Jesus to be known. So don't we want people to be saved? I mean, isn't that why we're here today? I mean, we're here to worship Jesus. But we're here so that we can be challenged and encouraged and equipped to go out and pray that people would be saved. That people would be saved here and that people would be saved in this community and throughout the world. So if so, then we must come together under one mission to preach the gospel for the sake of seeing lives changed. There are people who are often okay with winning an argument and losing a soul. And that's the wrong motive, that's the wrong method, and that's the wrong message. Like the person who was at my university, and they're at almost every university, who was standing on the, in the middle of the university, and as people would walk by, he would sit there and he would yell at them, and he'd point, at them and say, point, point to them and say, you're going to hell. Not even knowing them. Brother Jim was his name. You're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Here's the thing. That's the wrong motive. It's the wrong method, which leads to the wrong message. We need to share the gospel, and we need to do that by loving people and being on mission together. So we have the detractor of just this religious establishment, this idea that we're more concerned about our traditions or the things that we do or how we do it more so than people being saved. We also have the detractor of opposition. The gospel others were preaching was actually in opposition of Paul. They, they didn't like what they saw with Paul. And it wasn't in opposition of him because of his theology. And Paul even says here, it's not that their theology was bad. It's that their motive was wrong. They preached with selfish motives of envy and rivalry. They were, more, they were more concerned with making others feel minimal in what they believed and not truly 
concerned with reaching people. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, a motive derived from envy will suppress truth. They wanted Paul's giftedness. They wanted his type of ministry. But church, we're not called to be like Paul. We're called to be like Jesus. We don't need Paul's giftedness. We need Jesus. See, as a pastor, it becomes very uh, enticing when you read the commentaries by John MacArthur and you see all the influence that he's had, that you would say, I want to be like John MacArthur. Like, he's been in his church for over 50 years and the influence that he's had. I mean, he writes commentaries on commentaries, I think. Like, he has written so much. and Or... To, to, to hear Matt Chandler preach and, you know, know that he's the president of the Acts 29 network and just think, man, I, I wish I could relate to people like Matt Chandler. Or I have heard John Piper preach and have written or read many of his books. You know, there's the entice, enticement of, man, I just wish I could be like John Piper. But here's the thing, God has not called me or Pastor Joey or any of our pastoral staff to be John MacArthur, to be John Piper, Matt Chandler, or any other pastor that's out there. He's called us to be ourselves and in being ourselves to advance the gospel. It'd be very easy for me to look at Pastor Brian and Pastor Garrett and say, man, I wish I could eat milkshakes and drink milkshakes like they do. It's like... It's like, it's a, you need to ask them. It's their Thursday, I think it's Thursday routine. They have the place that they go to, the time that they go there. They know when it closes. And it's not, I'm not talking about a small milkshake. I'm talking about a large milkshake. And if you're lucky, they may bring one back for Pastor Joey. But here's the thing, we want to be ourselves we are called to be ourselves. We're not called to be anyone else. We're called to be whom God has designed us to be. And we shouldn't consider any other person to be a threat to our influence in the local church. One of the things I love about our staff is that, one of many things, is we truly rejoice together and with the accomplishments of ministry. So when we hear of kids getting saved in our children's ministry, we don't have a youth pastor who's like, oh, man, I wish I could get some more. Like, no, we rejoice together that kids are getting saved. When we hear that kids are getting saved in student ministry and that we had one that got baptized at camp, our entire pastoral staff, we rejoice together in that. When we, when we hear of how the Lord is working in senior adult ministry, we, we rejoice. And it's not a competition. We're in this together. So when we move past detractors, no telling how the gospel can, adva- can advance. Watch this clip. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a lost Brock? Well, not if I knew we could beat him. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. 
What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. <laughs> 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. It's heavy. I know it's heavy. But I have strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength. But don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going. You hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. Five more. Come on, Brock. Come on. Don't quit. Don't quit. Come on, Brock. Two more. One more. Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. Brock, you are the most influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach? Can I count on you? Yes. Coach? What is it, Jeremy? I wear 160. There are times in our lives where we have to get the things that are detractors out of our lives and we can't see them at all to see how far we can actually go when it comes to advancing the gospel. Envy turns into rivalry and a spirit of contention. When we have rivalry in the church, it leads to competition, it leads to hostility and conflict. Church, let me tell you something. We are not in competition with one another's ministries. We are not in competition with other churches in this community. But we're all in this together. And with the right motive of, of only desiring people to get saved, no telling how far the Lord can take us. We will do great harm to the church if our motives are not Christ-centered 
in all that we do. Lastly, the other detractor that can often get into our lives is this idea of tertiary issues, or as J.D. Greer would call it, secondary issues. One thing that can detract us from having a Christ-centered motive is focusing on tertiary issues that do not matter in the grand scheme of the gospel. We focus on secondary things, minute things. Yeah, we should be a theological people, and we should be very cautious with our doctrine. But do not let us be more concerned with minute issues than, uh, that are not gospel necessities, that it shifts our motives to not being missionally minded. See, what happens is when we focus on secondary issues, that leads us away from a missionally minded church. These discussions come up in every church, but it's our prayer that our discussions on tertiary issues, secondary issues, would be limited and only, only for the sake of reaching people for Jesus. Our motives should not compromise our mission. In true Joey Anthony fashion, I'm going to give you a to-do list. Uh, Just three final things for us to consider and be praying about and be thinking about as we leave here this morning. First, that we would consistently be, that we would consistently pray for gospel motives. That we would wake up in the morning and pray that God would overtake our heart, our life, our life and our action. That we would have gospel motives in all that we do. Secondly, that we would prioritize the gospel mission. The gospel mission in your life should be prioritized. It should be the most important thing that you do. And with that, number three, that we would participate in gospel advancement. You can't prioritize something that you're not participating in. The gospel and its mission that God has called us to is not your priority if you're not doing it. And it's not a calling for just a few people. It's a calling for any of us who, have, who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what your issue is. I don't know the struggle that you came into this church with this morning. But let me tell you this. As a Christian no matter what that difficulty is and no matter what that detractor is. When your confidence and your help is in the Lord, and hope is in the Lord, then ultimately you can use those things to see the gospel be proclaimed. Or maybe this morning you're a non-Christian. You come in here and you're like, man, like what does this have to do with me? Oh, it has everything to do with you. Because when you have detractors in your life and difficulties in your life, it feels like you're drowning. It feels like you can't go any further. It feels like you're going to suffocate. There's no need to feel that way. With the help of Jesus and surrendering your life to him, admitting that you're a sinner and confessing your sins to him and believing that he died and he rose again from the dead, your difficulties, yes, they will, some will still stay. 
and some will go, and some will come back. But here's the thing. You can find joy, contentment, and peace in the midst of those difficulties when you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And if that's you this morning, I pray that you will come forward and you will talk to one of us and that we can pray with you and that we can see that change. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we have this morning. I thank you for your blessing on this church and your blessing on our lives and, Lord, the people here at Mount Pleasant. But, Lord, most importantly, I pray that we would be on mission together with the right motive of seeing people saved, advancing the gospel, making Jesus' name known, and that our hope and our trust and our confidence would be in Jesus and nothing else. Thank you, God, for continuing to show your grace upon the people here at Mount Pleasant. And I pray that we would be on mission together and that we would continue to see lives changed for your glory. And if there's anybody in here today who doesn't know you, I pray that they would turn to you and accept you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.